Hello, and welcome to Hillcrest To Go. I'm your host, John Parker. Today, Dr. Tom Goodman shares a message titled, The Light Shines in the Darkness. First, our scripture reading, followed by an important message from Dr. Tom Goodman. Hello, my name is Olivia West, and today's scripture reading comes from John 1, verses 1 through 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. But no one has ever seen God, but God the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. God bless the reading of his word. Amen. Thank you, Olivia. And maybe you've heard of Spoiler Shield. It's a Chrome extension or phone app that you can install, and so while you're browsing the internet, you won't accidentally run across spoilers for your favorite shows that you haven't seen yet. Now, why would someone install that on their browser? Because we don't like people to ruin the plot of a show that we haven't seen yet. Things like Darth Vader was actually Luke's father. <laughs> Tony Stark actually dies. <laughs> Those of you that are watching online, you're not hearing all the groans probably coming from the building right now. Uh, Bruce Willis's character in The Sixth Sense was dead all along. And uh, Old Yeller actually has to be put down. Now, I'm sorry if I spoiled any of those movies for you. You should have had Spoiler Shield for this sermon. But now, right at the start of the Gospel of John, John is very happy to give us a spoiler. He's very happy to spoil the whole plot of his book by telling us that the light still shines out in the darkness because the darkness has not overcome it. And he says, you and I need to respond favorably to that truth. We've started a Sunday morning series through the Gospel of John, and this is actually our fourth time to be in these 18 verses of John chapter 1. Uh, three times we looked at this same passage to get ready for Christmas, and if you want to listen to those messages or listen to them again, they're on our website. But I want us to study them one more time today before we get into the lengthy study of the entirety of the Gospel of John, because these 18 verses serve as a sort of prologue 
for all that John is going to say throughout the rest of the book. The major themes that he deals with throughout the rest of the book are here in just 18 short verses. And one of the book's main themes that is revealed in his prologue is this. Christ's victory over the forces of darkness calls for a personal response from you. Now, I want you to circle the first half of that sentence on your sermon notes. If you don't have your sermon notes yet, you can find them in our online bulletin, hillcrest.church bulletin. And I want you to circle the first half of that statement. Christ's victory over the forces of darkness is something that we need to look at first off. In the passage that Olivia read to us, verse 5 tells us, spoiler alert, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, there are actually two verbs in that sentence. The first tells us something that is ongoing, and the second verb tells us something that has already happened. The light shines, present tense, in the darkness. Why? Because something has already happened. The darkness has not been able to overcome it. Now, the Gospel of John is a story of the kingdoms of light and darkness. And all the little stories that make up the experiences of our lives can only make sense as we understand them in the midst of this big story of the battle between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. Now, as we go through the study of the Gospel of John across these next several months, we're going to see that at first it looks like the kingdom of light is making great progress against the kingdom of darkness with Jesus' exorcisms, with Jesus' miracles, with Jesus' teaching. He's making great progress as the Lord of the kingdom of light against the kingdom of darkness. But then the empire strikes back. And we see that through the trial and the arrest and the torture and ultimately the death of Jesus on the cross, it looks like the kingdom of darkness has gotten the upper hand. But three days later, on Easter Sunday, as one of our Easter hymns puts it, up from the grave he arose with a mighty shout of triumph over his foes. He arose a victor of the what? Of the dark domain. Now that wonderful story comes up 19 chapters after the passage we're looking at today. But John doesn't mind giving a spoiler to us right at the very beginning. He says that the light, present tense, continues to shine out in the darkness. Why? Because the darkness at the cross was unable to overcome it. Now we need this reminder. We need light for our souls as much as we need light for our bodies. We know we need light for our bodies. Even before modern psychology came along, humans knew that certain people were particularly susceptible to depression during the wintertime months. Psychologists put a name on it. They call it seasonal affective disorder. That forms an acronym, S-A-D, and sadness is, of course, its most evident symptom. The disorder can lead to difficulty and relationships as people become withdrawn. The disorder can lead to difficulty at work as people fail to engage and fail to function well. It can lead to substance abuse as people try to self-medicate with drugs and alcohol. And psychologists worry that seasonal affective disorder will be particularly hard this winter because of the effects of the pandemic already upon so many of us. Uh, This disorder seems to strike during the short winter days because there's so little light during the short winter days, especially the further north you get. And so psychologists say to counteract that, what you need is more light to deal with the less light that we have 
uh, from the sun. And so they tell us, get outdoors as often as you can when it's sunny and enjoy the sunny skies. When you're indoors, they say we need to brighten up our house with at least 10,000 lux of light. Now, just as physical darkness can impact us bodily, spiritual darkness can impact our souls. The Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, our struggle is, is against the power of this what? Against the power of this dark world. Now, we know what darkness is. Uh, symbolically speaking, temptation is darkness. Despair is darkness. Uh, shame is darkness. Bitterness over the way things have turned out is darkness. The approaching grave is darkness. We know something about this world of darkness. That's why it's such good news to read the story of Jesus and find that the Lord of light continues to shine out his light because the darkness was not able to overcome it at the cross. But that truth requires a personal response from you. And that's the second thing that John tells us in these verses. And so I want you to circle that second phrase in the sentence on your notes. Christ's victory over the forces of darkness calls for what? It calls for a personal response from you. Now, near the end of his book, John tells us why he wrote the book. In John chapter 20, verse 21 or 31, John tells us the single reason he wrote the book. He said, I wrote this so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by, that by believing you may have life in his name. But again, you don't have to wait 20 chapters later to respond to that invitation. Like someone who doesn't mind giving you a spoiler, right at the start of the book, he says, look, a lot of people aren't going to receive this light, but what about you? And, and, and so we need to focus on the fact that there's going to be a lot of people who have not and will not receive this light. And then we have to decide what we're going to do about it. In verses 10 and 11, he tells us that many will not come to this light. There are actually two groups of people in these two verses. Verse 10 tells us about one group that does not recognize him. Verse 11 tells us about another group that does not receive him. Take a look at verse 10. Though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Now take a look at verse 11. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. So verse 10 is likely a reference to humanity in general. And then verse 11 is likely a reference to the Jewish people in specific. Now, if you're a non-believer... Your biography of disbelief shows up in one of these two verses, either verse 10 or verse 11. So let's take a look at verse 10. Does it surprise you to read that the world was created through Jesus? I mean, a lot of people in our world think of Jesus as a great moral teacher, but nothing more than that. Uh, and yet, uh, those who knew him best uh, claim that he was so much more than that. John begins the passage we're looking at today by referencing Jesus as the eternal word. And he says the word was with God and the word was God. And verse 3 goes on to say, through him all things were made. So the eternal word made the world. And then this passage goes on to say that the eternal word that made the world has been always continually communicating with the world. That's what verse 4 says. John calls him the light of all mankind in verse 4. In verse 9, John says, he gives light to everyone. Now, what does that mean? That means that all around the world, 
even before a missionary shows up, even before anybody's cracked open a Bible to read it, God has been communicating with them. Uh, not in words that we can hear with our ears, but God has been communicating through nature. God has been communicating through our inner conscience that we owe an obligation to someone who created us, that we're here by intention and design, and that the Creator has this way that He wants us to live our life. The Bible tells us over and over again that, that we know instinctively that this is the case, even if we've never read a Bible. That's why, for example, in Acts chapter 14, the Apostle Paul makes his first missionary encounter with a pagan people. And he says to these people who've never read a Bible, they've never, they've never entered into a synagogue, nobody explained a Bible story to them, and yet he says he has not left himself without testimony. Now what testimony was he saying here? He was, Paul was declaring that God had testified of himself even before Paul showed up on the scene. So he says in Acts chapter 14 verse 17, he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness. In what way? By giving you rain from heaven, crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. So Paul says God was testifying even to these pagan people who had never walked into a synagogue, never read a Bible before. And Paul was just being faithful to his Old Testament when he said that. Because in the Old Testament, in Psalm 19, we read this, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Their voice goes out throughout all the earth. And that's why the Apostle Paul opened his letter to the Romans the way he did. If you've ever read the letter to the Romans before, you know he starts by saying in verse 20, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, that is his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. Uh, but what has humanity done with this knowledge? According to the very next verse, verse 21, it says, Paul says, although they knew God, now, he doesn't mean by knowing God that they knew him savingly, but they knew instinctively within that they had been placed on this earth intentionally by some being and that that being has an opinion about the way we live our lives. We all know this instinctively, and the fact that we don't acknowledge it, according to the Bible, it's because we suppress this knowledge. And so Paul says, although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. Now, this is the exact same thing that John says in the opening of the Gospel of John. He says, the light is shining on all mankind, but verse 10, the world did not recognize him. Now, when John says the world did not recognize him, it's not just a matter of mistaken identity here. It means the world did not acknowledge him. The world did not welcome him. And there's something particularly heartbreaking about that, right? There's something emotionally poignant about that. I don't know about you, but I, I love seeing those YouTube videos of soldiers returning from deployment and surprising their families. Have you seen these videos over and over again? There's, there's, there's one in particular um, that uh, there's an elementary school age boy and it's his birthday, here's a doorbell ring and he goes to the front porch and there's this big package with a bow on it and he goes out there and it's his birthday so he opens up his birthday present and up pops his dad whom he hasn't seen in over a year, and the boy bursts into tears, and I burst into tears every time I see that video. But imagine if the video went like this. The dad, the soldier dad, comes home after over a year on deployment. 
He walks into his house and says, well, I'm home. And his wife looks up from her novel and says, oh, hi. And the kids look up from their video game, oh, it's you, and they go back to playing their video game. Now, that's exactly the image that John wants us to know when the one who created the world, the one who's been casting the light of his knowledge upon the world, came into the world in Jesus Christ, and the world did not recognize him. Again, that doesn't mean just mistaken identity. It means like that soldier father coming home, and it's like no acknowledgement, no welcome. There's something touching about that, isn't there? But if that's touching, it's even more poignant to see verse 11. Because in verse 11, while the world did not recognize him, it says, verse 11, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Now, like I said, if verse 10 is telling us about humanity in general, verse 11 is telling us about the Jewish nation in specific. Because after all, the Jewish nation wasn't just humanity in general. They had not just some vague notion that God had created them for a purpose, but they knew what that purpose was. They had the prophets. They had the Ten Commandments. They had the Psalms. In other words, they had a Bible. And they had a place to go to have somebody teach them that Bible on a regular basis. If there was any nation that should have been prepared to receive the arrival of the eternal word, it should have been the Jewish nation. And yet this passage says he came to his own people, but his own people did not receive him. Now here's how this applies to you today. If you are a non-believer, your biography of disbelief is either in verse 10 or in verse 11. Maybe it's in verse 10. Maybe you have rarely, if ever, walked into a church. This is your first time maybe to tune in to a broadcast. You haven't read a Bible before. But according to the Bible, there is something instinctive within each of us that knows that we're not here just by chance or happenstance, that we are here on purpose, that somebody put us here on this earth, and he has an intention for the way he wants us to live our life. And yet you look into the story of Jesus, and you don't recognize the arrival of that creator in the person of Jesus. Or it may be that your biography of disbelief isn't found in verse 10, but it's found in verse 11. Not because you're part of the Jewish nation, I don't mean that, but just like the Jewish people. Remember I said the Jewish people had a Bible. They had guidance from God about who God is and what God expects of our lives. Of all people, they should have recognized the arrival of their Savior and Creator in Jesus. And you have a Bible. You were raised uh, in a family that went to church at least sometimes. You had a mama that sent you to vacation Bible school and to youth camp. You know something about the Bible stories of, of all people around the world. You should be prepared to receive Jesus as your Savior and Lord. And yet, here you are in your 20s or your 40s or your senior adult years and you are, according to verse 11, still somebody who has yet to receive him as your Savior and your Lord. But whether your biography is found in verse 10 or in verse 11, it doesn't have to be your biography moving forward from this point because look at verse 12. Verse 12 tells us, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. What an incomprehensible privilege to be God's children, to be members of his family, to be heirs of his vast estate. And how do we get that privilege? By work, by effort, no by believing in his name. What does that mean to believe in the name of Jesus? 
Well, I've told you before that in the Bible and the Old Testament and the New Testament, to speak of the name of God was sort of a shorthand for referring to God's character, his integrity, his worth, his promises. Uh, that's the way we use the word today and that image today. I mean, if, if somebody you discover is going around the community uh, slandering you, telling lies about you, you say about that person, he is ruining my good name. And you mean by that not that he's making up mocking rhymes about your name, but that he is, he is talking about your character and your integrity and your worth in such a way that is denigrating to you. So to believe in the name of Jesus means to believe the character of Jesus and the action of Jesus on the cross and the resurrection, the promise of Jesus to return, to believe that makes us his children. But it's not just this one-time thing. It's not just some box to check, some club to join. Literally, you could translate this verse, verse 12, for all who believe into the name of Jesus Christ, into. So it is directional. It is relational. What this means is to be a Christian means that every day, every month, every year, you are moving into him more and more. You're moving toward him in a deeper and deeper sort of way. And when we do that, we're given this right, this privilege to be called the children of God. I want to invite you to become a child of God because according to this passage of Scripture, Christ overcame the forces of darkness so that we must, and so now we must respond to that and believe into his name, moving toward him ever closer and closer toward him from this day forward. I'm rereading The Lord of the Rings right now at, at my house. I pull that trilogy down from time to time across my years. I'm seventh time through reading it uh, right now. And at one point, the elven queen Galadriel gives to Frodo a file, a, a, a crystal uh, container, a crystal vial. And she says, may it be a light to you in dark places when all other lights have gone out. And if you've read the story or seen the movie, you know that it was a welcome gift indeed in the horror and in the dread of Shelob's liar, he remembered Galadriel's gift. Let me read a portion of this novel to you, this fantasy story. Slowly, he held aloft the file of Galadriel. For a moment it glimmered faint as a rising star struggling in heavy earthward mists. And then as its power waxed and hope grew in Frodo's mind, it began to burn and kindled to a silver flame. The darkness receded. And Frodo gazed in wonder at this marvelous gift that he had so long carried, not guessing its full worth and potency. You, believer, carry something that you haven't guessed its full worth and potency yet. But you are going to walk through dark places in this world from time to time. You're going to walk through worry and fear. You're going to walk through seasons of doubt. You're going to walk through shame. You're going to walk through temptation. You're going to walk through despair and bitterness. You're going to walk toward your own grave ultimately. And it's in those times that we can be grateful that we have something far greater than the file of Galadriel to lift up. In those dark times, we can lift up the bright promise of the empty cross of Christ. This concludes our podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. 
Join us next time as Dr. Goodman shares a message titled, Who Are You? I'm your host, John Parker, and this has been Hillcrest To Go. For more information, please contact us at hillcrest.church.